talks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Amen. Now this is the time that we want to bow our heads and pray. And um, I just want to remind everybody, that, myself included in this remembrance, that um, we should pray the words out of the Bible. When we can't think of the words for ourselves, God's already given them to us. So I'm going to read Psalm 119. Um, verse number 169 down to 176. So let's bow our head in prayer for this. This is still a prayer. Let my cry come near before Thee, O Lord. Give me understanding according to Thy word. Let my supplication come before Thee. Deliver me according to Thy word. My lips shall utter praise when Thou hast taught me Thy statutes. My tongue shall speak of Thy word, for all Thy commandments are righteousness. Let Thine hand help me, for I have chosen Thy precepts. I have longed for thy salvation, O Lord, and thy law is my delight. Let my soul live, and it shall praise thee, and let thy judgments help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek thy servant, for I do not forget thy commandments. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Um, 149. <clears throat> Human help inside. 
us. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of His dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Life's Precious blood of the Lamb. 
Bibles, if you will, turn to Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter number 24, and uh, I'm going to begin uh, this afternoon dealing with uh, the topic of missions from a biblical perspective, and we're going to start at the very beginning. That's always a good place to start. Have you ever noticed that? Somebody said if you started in the middle when you got halfway done, you'd be at the end, so you don't want to start there. You want to start at the very beginning of missions, and uh So we're going to start uh, at the very beginning and work our way through some things. And as we go through, um, hopefully learn uh, some things regarding biblical missions. Uh, I'm going to say at the onset, and I've said this before when we've had a few other studies in our church, that oftentimes we are um, accustomed to things being done a particular way because that's how we grew up and that's how the church that we grew up in or the church we attended did it. And we may even have been taught some things um, that oftentimes are taught from lectures or notes of other people. And I want to just say this, that when it comes to any, any subject in a church, if the Bible teaches something different than what we're accustomed to or what we have always done, uh, we have to make a choice, and are we going to follow then what the Bible says, or are we going to hold to the things that we've always done and, and, and dealt with some things? And I hope our answer will always be, we'll, we'll follow what the Bible says. Uh, if not, you'll have to look for another pastor, because that's, that's the direction I'm going. Uh, and, uh, oh, as I lost my pepper, is there a five-second rule on that? I'm just kidding. Now I'm out of pepper. No, I'm not. I got one. So uh, anyway, we just want to say that at the onset because there may be a few things that we come across as we deal with this that is not the typical way that missions are done today and and even in churches that we're in agreement with um, for the most part in the way they practice things. Uh, But we want to do it biblically and and we want to uh, look at our missions program from a biblical perspective. So Uh, Bear with us on that, and I'm going to ask you, if you will, this is one of the hard things uh, for Christians to do, but I want us to, as we approach the subject, come to it with an open heart and an open mind, and legitimately just see what does the Bible say about it. Can we do that? Um, There was a subject a number of years ago uh, someone uh, asked me about, and I had always been brought up a certain way on. And uh, I went to the Scriptures to see what it said, and uh, my intent from the beginning was I'm going to lay aside what I've been taught, and I want to just see what does the Bible say, and let it lead me to a conclusion in the matter. 
And I was about 10 days into it or so, maybe a little over a week, I would think, at least, studying it. And I still, even though that was my mindset, I still caught myself when I would come against a scripture that wasn't, it seemed to teach something a little different than what I had always thought. I still would think, okay, but let me find some other scriptures that will help support what I think. And that was the wrong direction. And even though my mind was, I even purposed in my heart, I wasn't going to do that. It is our tendency, isn't it? It's our nature to say, okay, I want to shore up what I've always practiced and what I've always believed, and I'll find somewhere in Scripture something to support it. The truth of the matter is you can, you can take passages and verses out of context and make it support about anything you want it to support. But when we come to the Scripture with an open heart, and say, what does the Bible teach? And let it bring us to the conclusion. There's a big difference in that. And I see a lot of heads shaking, and I'm glad our hearts are that way. Um, But I want to caution you, because even knowing that, I have found in my life there still is that tendency to do that. And so I want to kind of forewarn us on that and ask you to, Uh, prayerfully consider and ask the Holy Spirit to guide and to direct us in the the teaching of His Word on this subject. Because I I know that there will be some things that we will deal with that will be contrary to some of the practices that are commonly practiced. Now, saying all that, I'm not going to tell you that everything that is practiced today is a bad thing. Okay, let me give you a for instance. Uh, we, uh, we meet on Wednesday night for prayer meeting. We don't find in the Scriptures that they say, okay, we're supposed to have a Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening service, and they have to be at these times, and you ought to have a Wednesday night service. Uh, even Sunday school was not in existence until a little over 100 years ago. Now, does that make it a bad thing? No, it doesn't make it a bad thing. It's still a good thing. But let's not say that that's something that has to be done because Scripture mandates it. Do you understand what I'm saying? So some of the things we'll teach, you'll find, are not Scripture. doesn't mean they're bad, but we're not going to approach it from the standpoint of this is what the Bible says about missions. We're going to approach it from the standpoint of it may be a good thing. It may still be something we as a church want to participate in, but we're not going to say it's foundational upon Scripture. Okay, so... Bear with us on that. I hope we understand that and can make that discernment, and uh, it'll be a help to you. All right, let's look at Luke chapter number 24. Jesus is just getting ready to ascend. <clears throat> Luke is the only one that brings this particular account uh, into uh, focus. And um, as we get to, uh, let's go to verse number 45. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Now, this, this verse number 47 parallels to the other Gospels that talk about going into all the world and preaching the Gospel to every creature. Some of them are more descriptive about that than, than Luke is in that they teach also that they're to baptize and they're to teach uh, them uh, all things whatsoever God had commanded them. So God expounds on that a little bit more in some of the other Gospels. This is the same 
uh, reference that Luke is making here in that we're to teach these things to all nations. And notice he says this, beginning at Jerusalem. Very important that we understand that. And ye are witnesses of these things, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon ye. Now notice this statement. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Father, we pray that you'll bless the teaching on the subject of missions. Lord, very near and dear to my heart. I pray that you would help us as a church to understand biblically what our considerations, what our responsibilities ought to be. And then, Lord, even to look at things that maybe are not explicitly stated in Scripture, but perhaps are good things, things we should be involved with. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom and discernment and understanding in these matters. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I, uh, for many years, uh, for, I can't say for many years, for several years in my ministry, uh, around 2007 through about maybe 2009, uh, struggled with a concept of the power of God in service. And I've shared some of that with, with our church. Um, and my, my, my problem was this. I had been laboring and serving God. I'd done all the, the methods that I was taught at Bible college. And, uh, boy, we were doing bus routes and we were doing promotions and we were doing Sunday school. And we had the right curriculum and we had the right Bible and we had the right uh, kind of track and it was worded the right way. And we were out here laboring, 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 laboring. And, uh, and used what we believe to be right resources and right material. And, and I'll tell you what really got to me was when I began to realize that we put all the focus on resources, right material, uh, diligence and steadfastness and sacrificial service, and very little emphasis on having the power of the Holy Spirit in our service. And... The question came to my heart, and I, and I struggled with it for a long period of time, and I think God has given some, some answers to that over the years. And the, the question is, are we wrong? Are we out of God's will? If we do God's work, God's way, with God's Word, but without His power. And I believe the answer to that is yes, we're out of God's will in doing that. He tells the disciples, he spent three and a half years training them. He calls them in, in, in the seashore of Galilee, and he, we see the first disciples called. We just preached on them. And for three and a half years, he grooms these young men. He trains them. He teaches them. He, he, he teaches them things that, that completely turned their thinking upside down because it wasn't the, the ideas or the thoughts that the world had at the time. And uh, literally set, set everything on, on, on its head. And taught them about soul winning and taught them about going and preaching the gospel and how they were to approach people and, and all of these things. And, and uh, he, he's getting ready to leave them. And I can imagine, I mean, I don't know about you, but if you could put yourself in the place of the disciples. In two weeks we're going to have Easter Sunday, the Sunday we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I know we rejoice in that and we take a week out of the year that we celebrate that and rejoice in it. Because you put yourself in the disciples' shoes, they had walked shoulder to shoulder with him. They had leaned upon his breast. They had hugged him. They had, they had, they had worked arm in arm with him for three and a half years. 
They loved him. They were, he was a dear friend to them, and they, they with him. And, and then they, they watched him as he was crucified. And then they watched him as they, he appeared to them in the upper room. And, and, and he says, I want you to touch me. You can handle me. I'm here. I'm really him. And they saw the risen Christ. Could you imagine that? I mean, I don't know about you. Could you imagine being one of them that saw the risen Christ? And he says, listen, it, it behooved me. He said, we just read it here a moment ago. He said, it behooved me uh, for, for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day because it brings redemption to mankind. It, it brings salvation. And he says, I'm going to take this wonderful news and I'm going to put it in your hands and now I want you to go into all the world and tell everybody you can about it. Could you imagine that? I, I don't know if we get the, the excitement of that. That's the thrill of that. Could you imagine? Put yourself in their shoes. They've seen the risen Christ. And he didn't, it, there wasn't a preacher that got up or a missionary that got up. There wasn't a Sunday school teacher that got up and said, you need to go and take this message. The risen Christ, with the nail prints still in his hands, is standing there looking them in the eyes and saying, I want you to go into all the world. You, you'll be a witness for me. And I want you to begin in Jerusalem. Could you imagine the excitement? I mean, talk about hitting the ground running. These gentlemen, I, can't, I, I, I just can't help but believe these guys were chomping at the bit to go. They were, I mean, they were like batteries charged. There wasn't a revival out there that stirred the hearts of men, I think, like Jesus Christ did when he gave this great commission to these men. And in the midst of all their excitement, if you can picture that, and I don't know if we can even understand that today, but if you could even fathom part of the excitement these men had. In the middle of all of it, Jesus says, but wait, wait, stop. Before you go, there's something that is needful. You need the power of the Holy Ghost upon you. He said, I'm going to send him, but I need you to wait. This great message you've got, the great zeal, the great excitement, I need you to wait. Tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. They go to praying in the upper room. 120 of them that we know of from Scripture. They go into the upper room. They begin to pray for several days. They pray until the day of Pentecost. What do you think these folks are praying about? I, I, I'm not going to tell you that I can prove this from Scripture. I'll tell you what my thought is. I think they're up there praying, Lord, hurry up and send this power you're talking about. We want to get busy. We want to get going. Now, you say, Brother Greg, I don't know if I agree with that. That's fine. I can't show that from Scripture. That's, my, that's in First Gregolonians, all right? That's, that's my opinion. But can I tell you this? I, I can't imagine, if you can put yourself in their shoes, them, them praying for anything other than, Lord, we're ready to go. We, we want to see people saved. I've got friends. I've got loved ones. I've got family members that need to hear this. And they begin to pray. And then we come to the book of Acts, chapter number 1. We find here that the Bible teaches in verse number 8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. In chapters 2 and 3, we find that as they were gathered together, <clears throat> praying in one accord, that this fire fell from heaven. <coughs> the Holy Spirit of God comes down. 
and endues them with power. Now, I'm not talking about the indwelling. They already had that. They were already saved. I'm talking about the resting of the power of the Holy Spirit of God upon their lives. Power for service. Not power for living, indwellment, but power for service. And this resting comes upon them. And by the way, I believe that when we get saved, we get all of the Holy Spirit indwelling us that we're going to get. But when it comes to His power resting upon us, we can either grieve or quench it. And there, there, comes, there ebbs and flows that power that rests upon us. And that is many times dependent upon our response to Him. We can see that go away. And he says this in, in chapter 1, verse number 8, and I believe that this is very important for us to understand, that there is a priority given regarding service here as far as outreach. He tells them that they are to be witnesses unto him in Jerusalem. That's the first place. Can I tell you this? We have a great Jerusalem right here where we're at. He said, listen, you're in this city. I want you to be witnesses in this city. I want you to be witnesses in the areas surrounding this city. And then I want you to be witnesses under the uttermost parts of the earth. I believe he gives it to them in priority. And I think that we as Keith Heights Baptist Church, when it comes to looking at our missions program, need to understand this. If we're to be a missions-minded church, it's not about how much money we give to missions. It's about how much we are personally involved in missions. Are we involved in it in our Jerusalem? Are we, are we involved in it here in Jefferson County, Missouri? I, I mentioned in the earlier service, I read a statistic just this past week. We have now, the United States of America, has now reached a place where we are second in the world to having missionaries sent to us to reach us with the gospel. That's what people, Christians outside of the United States, are looking at our country, saying America is in great need of missionaries. And we have people is sitting in, we have probably more churches per capita than any other country in the world, but we're not sending out preacher boys and we're not planting churches, we're losing churches. And we, we, we say, boy, we want to really be a missions-minded church. Let's raise our missions budget, Pastor. No, let's raise some men and women of God that will go out here and plant some churches in the United States of America. Let's find some folks that will go out here and knock on doors and win people to Christ in Jefferson County, Florida. Or Missouri. I just came back from Florida. Man, you can tell where I am. You, you can take the Florida out of a boy, or boy out of a Florida, but you can't take the Florida out of a boy. So. But where, where are the folks? Where are, the, where are the people? You say, Brother Greg, we're a small church. I'll tell you what, we need to be sending people out of this church. We need to, you know, the, the, the biblical structure of the church is that you win people, you bring them in, you disciple them, you train them, and then you send them. And a church that just constantly has an inflow of people coming into it and they never send anyone out of it to go and serve is a dying church. Where are the young men, young women that will rise up and say, God has called me to preach, or God has called me to go start a church, or God has called me to the mission field? If we're going to be involved in missions, we've got to look inside first. What is our heart doing? Are we involved in, in doing what we can to reach the second greatest mission field in the world? We're living in it. And all we have to do is step outside our houses and we're there. 
We don't have to go on deputation for two years. We don't have to put together a slideshow and prayer cards. We don't have to spend what now takes a quarter of a million dollars on average for a mission family to reach the field. A quarter of a million dollars before they ever even knock on the first door, before they ever even hand out the first track. The money spent in deputation of families. And you and I have the privilege. We don't even have to go on deputation. All we've got to do is study our Bible, learn how to tell somebody about the gospel, and then go out and do it. To take a track and carry it in our pocket and hand it to somebody and say, would you read this? It'll tell you how you can go to heaven when you die. Folks, an effectual door has been set before us. All that we would learn this, that we as God's people in Kepha Heights Baptist Church need not focus on what we give to missions. How are we participating in missions? That being said, are we resting on God's power? Have we sought for God's power and service? He told these disciples, I want you to go. And I want you to go in Jerusalem, beginning in Jerusalem. I want you to start here. Start in your hometown. He says, but I want you to wait. Don't do it until you're endued with power from on high. It would be a great thing if Keitha Heights Baptist Church would make it a priority in every one of our lives. I'm going to pray, pray and I'm going to seek and I'm going to ask for God's power to be endued on me for serving Him. I want to seek for the Holy Spirit to empower me to do His work. We get out here and we start to share the gospel with someone we need the Holy Spirit dealing with their heart. Commonality, I've talked to many times, Brother Harold and some of the other guys that soul in, do knock on doors, I've talked with you about this before. We go up and we knock on a door or we meet a person for the very first time. We don't know that person. But God does. We don't know what's in that person's heart. We can't see it. But God does. And don't you think that the Holy Spirit of God can prompt us in some areas to talk about certain things and to bring certain things to bear that would prick the heart of that person and be used as a vessel and a tool to reach their heart? How is that going to happen if you and I are not empowered with the Holy Spirit? If He is not resting His power upon us? We go out here and we labor in the flesh in vain. We labor depending upon our own charisma, our own personality, our own knowledge of things. We've studied. We've, we've learned the how-tos. We've gone to soul-winning seminars and clinics, and we've got it all down pat. But where is the praying and pleading for the power of the Holy Spirit to help us? This is the beginning of missions, folks. This is where it starts. Acts chapter number 1 and verse number 8, he says, I want you to go to Jerusalem. And then I want you to go to Judea. And I want you to go to uttermost parts of the earth. Now take your Bibles, if you will, turn with me to Acts chapter number 13. Acts chapter number 13. And folks, I cannot emphasize enough the importance of seeking fervently for the power of the Holy Spirit upon us. 
Acts chapter number 13. Look with me in verse number 1. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manon, uh, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul, as they, these men, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. I want you to notice the sincerity and the burden of these men. The fasting was something that was done in those days, not just because it was the thing to do. It wasn't, it wasn't in vogue, so to speak, in the church. The purpose of fasting was when a burden was so great that you could not even think of your own physical necessity, and you begin to pray, and you begin to seek for God to, to work in this matter. And you would begin to fast and pray. That you would, you would miss sometimes physical meals, and, and you would fast yourself from sometimes even things in your life. And you say, I'm not going to have those things in my life because I'm going to give myself to prayer. I'm so burdened for these things. And what were these things that they were burdened for? They're fasting and they're praying, and these men are seeking to do something for God, and they're, they're burdened about this. And notice what it says in verse number 2. It says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Paul, for the work wherewith I have called them. There were certain ones of these men that were serving God, that were laboring in prayer, that were fasting, that were burdened, and, and certainly, I believe, burdened for the souls of men. And the Holy Spirit came to the church there in Ephesus, and they said, I want you, He said, I want you to separate unto me Paul and Barnabas. And I tell you this, when it comes to selecting missionaries, first of all, I think we ought to look inwardly in our own church first. I think that's where God begins the mission work. There ought to be, there ought to be people that we're training and discipling and teaching in Scripture and, and challenging from God's Word and hopefully the Holy Spirit of God using those things to burden our hearts, to break our hearts for those that are lost not just in Jefferson County but around the world. And for God to raise up some families in our churches that would say, I'll go. I, I, if you need me, Lord, I'm here. I'll go. I'll be that one. Well, Brother Greg, I, it may cost me my job. Oh, but look what she came. It may, it may cost me some time. It may cost me some money. It may cost me my life. But look what she gained. And can I tell you this? When it comes to selecting people for missions both those that are considering missions and those that as a church are praying for God to send missionaries, we need to rely upon the Holy Spirit of God calling that person to missions. I've seen some people that have grown up in Christian homes and felt like they were, they were locked into a handful of things that they could go into with their life because of their family situation. They could either be a preacher or a missionary or a Christian school teacher. And they looked at the family they grew up in, the church they grew up in, and what was expected of them by man. And they thought, well, I've got to pick one of those three. I guess I'll be a missionary. And can I tell you, that person's never been God called. He's never been chosen by the Holy Spirit of God and set apart for the work. We have missionaries come in here 
one of the things we as a church need to pray that God gives us discernment in and that we're able to ask that missionary to express to us how he believes that the Holy Spirit has called and set him apart for that work. Separated for it. These men were fasting and praying. They were already soul burdened. They weren't just growing up in a Christian home trying to figure out what their Christian career is going to be. And can I tell you, there's a lot of churches that's, that, that goes on by so much more than you can ever imagine. Kids that are expected to go off to Bible college by their parents, their pastor, their youth pastor. They're expected to go into some Christian field. That may not be at all where God wants them to be. I'm not trying to talk anybody out of serving God. But can I tell you this? If God's will is for you to be a businessman, you better not go and be a missionary. You better not go and be a pastor. You can still be a witness just like every other Christian can. But you better be doing what God has for your life. If it's what He has for your life. I believe so many times that we have sent missionaries to the field that were never God called to begin with. Secondly, we need to be praying that God will help us to discern. To know if this missionary is one that the Holy Spirit is laying upon our hearts to send. Understanding this, that when we send a missionary, when we support a missionary, when we say we're going to give our mission dollars to you, that they become an extension of this ministry. They are in all points serving based on the beliefs and the standards and the doctrine of this church. And if they are not in line with the doctrine and the beliefs and the distinctives of this church, then we may wish them well and encourage them on their way, but we will not support them as a missionary. We may pray for them and they may be good friends of ours, but we cannot and must not give our mission dollars to people that cannot be in line with what we believe God has taught us as a church are the right doctrines and the right distinctives and the right beliefs. If they differ from those, we must have a separation there. We must say we cannot. They were separated by the Holy Spirit. Now notice what the Bible says here. They were separated to the work. Look with me in verse number 2. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy, Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Paul for the work. I have found this to be true over the years. That usually, and I understand the busyness of, of deputation. Certainly I understand that. I don't expect the missionary to, when he's traveling 16 hours to go from point A to point B with the family, to have led somebody to the Lord the day before he got there because he's been 16 hours traveling with him and his family. Sometimes they do. But I found this to be true, that if a missionary has been on deputation for two years and is not involved in the work already, chances are he will not be involved in the work when he gets on the field. And I've seen some do that. I've supported some that did that in the years past, and I've learned the hard way. But oftentimes, if they've not been involved in the work here, that when they get to the mission field, they will be living on the field, but not serving on the field. They will not be laboring. The Holy Spirit tells the church at Ephesus, I want you to separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for to do the work. 
Notice the work that it is. It's not just laboring generally, but it is the work whereunto I have what? Called them. What is it the Holy Spirit's going to have them do? My personal belief on this, or, or, or tendency on this, and, and this, this is my personal thing, because soul winning and reaching the lost is the primary focus of missions and ought be, the focus ought to be on planting churches. If we look at the pattern of Paul and Barnabas, they went to a city, they led people to Christ, they organized them into a church, and then they went on to the next city. They were church planters. I believe that every missionary ought to be looking to win people to Christ. If there's not already an existing church, build a church and then go and do it again somewhere. Now, that's not to say that I would not consider taking on a missionary that's going to labor in that city for the rest of his life in an established church and work. I certainly would consider that as well. But I think the primary thing ought to be that we look for church planters. People that are going to go and plant churches that do it the, the biblical pattern of Barnabas and Paul. Again, not to say that the other way is a bad way, but I believe that the Bible teaches that they are to go, lead people to Christ, build a church, and train somebody to take it, and then move on. Go and do it again somewhere else in another place. And so I want us to understand some of this focus that God's given. This work that God has given is something that the Holy Spirit gives to them to do. And it needs to be that particular work that they work and labor in. There was a missionary years ago that we supported. And literally, probably well over three-quarters of a million dollars of missions dollars were sent to that family over a period of about six years. And the most that the man ever did was sit in his house and send out uh, social media ads inviting people to his church. And he had some newspaper ads printed in the newspaper. And he never went outside. He never went to his neighbors. He never knocked on a door. He never stood on a street corner. He never invited people in the marketplace. He sat in his house on a computer all day long, marketing, trying to get people to come to his church. And he came back after six years of missions work and almost three-quarters of a million dollars later and had not won one soul to Christ in that. And the work folded, and he ended up coming back to the States and living in the States. Can I tell you this, that when we look at a missionary, we need to look at what is the work that God has called them to do, and are they going to do that work? Notice with me as we get to verse number 3. And when they had fasted and prayed, now this is speaking here of the church. When they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them, and they sent them away. Now, the laying on of hands, there's nothing spooky or supernatural. No special power flows from the hands. What that means in all that they did is they came and laid hands on them, prayed for them. They said, we're taking what we believe is our authority as a local church to send out missionaries, and we are, we are authorizing you to go out of these premises and represent this ministry in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ under the authority of the auspices of this church. They became the sending church of Paul and Barnabas. They were vesting the, the authority that they had as a local church and saying we're, we're putting our confidence in you as missionaries that when you go out here, you'll take what we hold to be what God has taught us as a church 
doctrinally, distinctively, standard-wise in every aspect and to take that out and to take it to a lost and a dying world. And the same commit to faithful men who are able to teach others also. I have a friend of mine. His name's Bob Green. Uh, he and his wife, Miss Patsy, went down to El Salvador a number of years ago back in the late 60s, early 70s. They were only able to be there for two terms of four years each, so eight years. They came back on furlough in the middle. They established um, one church in San Miguel in the first year they were, first four years they were there. They won some people to the Lord, established a church, and uh, trained a, a national pastor, came home on furlough. When they went back, they went to another city about an hour away and did the same thing in the next four years. The government had some unrest and turmoil there, and for their own safety, they were told by the folks in El Salvador, you need to go back to the States. And they did. They came back, and uh, he pastored a, a struggling church for a number of years in my hometown. They're dear friends of our, our family. And then he took a position as one of the directors at BIMI. And um, a few years ago, uh, a pastor friend of uh, his and mine, a mutual pastor friend, and, and he and another businessman, local businessman, uh, asked me if I would go on a missions trip to El Salvador with them. And I went down there, and we went to visit the two churches that they had um, established in the early 70s. That's been about 10 or 12 years ago, so at the time it would have been probably about uh, maybe 30 to 35 years had passed in the, in the time that they had left and the time that we went to the mission field. I went there, and we got there on a Friday evening. We saw a couple of churches uh, that uh, had been started in the area and visited them. And then on Saturday, we went and visited a few more. And then on Sunday morning, uh, they asked me if I would be ready to preach. And I said, that'll be fine. And we started at 8 o'clock in the morning. And I was given an interpreter, and uh, I preached at 8 o'clock. And then they said, now you stay with this guy, and he'll drive you around and so we got shuttled to another church about 30 minutes away, and I preached again. And I thought, boy, this, this is good. Now time for lunch. Well, we didn't have much time for lunch. We ate in the cars. We were on our way to the third church, and then a fourth church, and then a fifth church. And I think that day I preached a total of six or seven times, and we got done at 10 o'clock on Sunday night. And I mean, talk about exhausted. I mean, I was just running from one church to the other preaching. And I got back to the motel room. Brother Bob was and I were in the same motel room together, and I, we were talking about it. He said, uh, when Miss Patsy and I came down here and started these churches, he said, we not, didn't want to only uh, be soul winners and church planters, but we wanted the church that we planted to know how to be soul winners and church planters. Those two churches, and this has been 10 or 12 years ago, those two churches at that time had started over, had, had started, planted over 70 churches in 30 years around them. And both churches had a line of young men, five or six or eight, that had gone through their Bible Institute and had been well-trained and were ready to take on the churches. And the main church, the first church they started in San Miguel, they were on target to start a brand new church every ten months. I came back to the United States of America 
And I looked at our church that had been there 40 years. And in 40 years, we had a part in starting two other churches. And I thought, and we thought we were missions-minded. The work that God had called them to do. These churches that had been planted in El Salvador, and I know it's a different country than America, I understand that. But they weren't running 10 and 12. I don't think I went to one church that Sunday that didn't have at least 200 people in it. The main church in San Miguel, they had three services that morning. Their auditorium seated 700. In every service, they packed the building and had people standing out in the front of the building out in the porch area. They filled that building three times that morning. And I thought, what are we doing? In the United States of America... At this point in our lives, the second greatest mission field. Are we planting churches? Are we sending out missionaries? Are we even soul winning? Are we doing the work that the Holy Spirit has called us to do? The church fasted. They prayed and they laid hands on them. They said, we're going to send you out. They sent Paul and Barnabas. The Bible says this in verse number 4. So they, being sent forth, notice this, by the Holy Ghost. Well, wait a minute. What did it say in verse number 3? It says that they sent them away, didn't it? But have you noticed this? When they had prayed and fasted, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. The Holy Ghost separated Paul and Barnabas said, I want you to separate Paul and Barnabas to me. The Holy Ghost is the one that they were fasting and praying that, that, that He would uh, send them out and, and, and use them in their work. And so even though the church sent them, notice this, that it was the Holy Spirit that actually had sent them. They departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the Word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. From that point on, you can read down through that chapter and the chapters that follow, and it's one exciting thing after another. God sends revival. God sends people that are getting saved. Churches are being planted all over Asia. Where did missions begin? Folks, this was the start of it. It was the Lord Jesus Christ ascending telling His disciples, I want you to go into all the world. Start in Jerusalem and work your way out. And I mean, I want you to be involved. I want you sharing everywhere you go. But don't do it until you have the power of the Holy Ghost on you. He said, once you do, He said, I want you to go into Judea, and I want you to go into Samaria, and I want you to go into the uttermost parts of the earth. And I want you to do the work that the Holy Ghost gives you to do. And so Paul, in verse number 5, and Barnabas, they began the work that the Holy Spirit gave them to do. And you know what it was? It was preaching the Word of God. Isn't that amazing? The work that the Holy Spirit gave them to do was to preach the Word of God. 
I, I'm not opposed to missionaries that assist other missionaries, and without them, uh, those missionaries would struggle. I was a part and helped with uh, Missionary Flights International down in Fort Pierce, Florida, and they're a technical ministry for other missionaries. They support about 600 other missionaries uh, by flying goods and, and resources to them. All of their pilots, all their mechanics, all have to raise their own support as missionaries. They're not paid by the mission organization. The president of that, uh, he's now president emeritus, Brother Dick Snook, and I were talking one time. And he said, when we interview a pilot, he said, we get a lot of young men that come in here and they think mission aviation is just an exciting thing to get into and they're pilots and they want to fly. And he said, we'll interview them. He said, but we don't choose a pilot. We choose a missionary that's going to preach the Word of God that knows how to fly an airplane. I thought that's the heart. Even in technical missions, that's the heart that these people ought to have. Folks, we've got a great opportunity to be involved in missions. We support a number of missionaries, 22 at the last count. We'll be getting that list out to you. Some of them we're going to evaluate. I'll be real honest with you. We're going to look at them. We may or may not continue to support them. I want us to understand that we want to be biblical in our missions giving. And I want us to be a church that doesn't just give to missions, but we participate in missions. We're involved in it. We roll up our sleeves and we come shoulder to shoulder with our missionaries and we assist them in every way possible through prayer, through encouragement and support by contacting them, by helping their needs if we're able to, by visiting the fields, laboring with them on short-term missions trips. And folks, I'd love to see our church become a missions-minded church, not just a missions-giving church. And I want to encourage you. We're going to be teaching over the next couple of weeks some very practical things from God's Word. Today was kind of an introduction and kind of a charge, a shot in the arm to kind of say, this thing's important. It needs to become something very important to us. And I want you to be praying diligently, fervently, that God will give guidance and great discernment in the weeks ahead as we look into our missions program. We're going to, I took a lot of the scriptures down, you notice, around the room. And the reason for that is, Lord willing, this week, as we're dealing with some things, I'll be putting some things up about our missionaries. I want us to be involved in them. And one of the things we're going to do, we'll put a little section up for each of our missionaries. We may not get them all up the first month. But we're going to put prayer cards out, not just the newsletters. And I'm going to ask each of our families to take at least one. And I want you to make that family your project for that month. I want you to contact them every week somehow, either through email or by telephone call, FaceTime, whatever it is. I want you to correspond with them, get to know them. Find out who their family is. Know what their, their needs are. And we're going to begin on Wednesday nights. Once This will start probably in two weeks. I want to begin on Wednesday nights having a time in our Wednesday night service where we, you, give an update to our church of what you have found out about that missionary that week. And uh, you may not always have something to report every Wednesday, and that's fine, but those that have something to report, we're going to ask you to give a, a brief three- to five-minute report on that missionary each Wednesday night and keep missions before us. 
Help us to know our missionaries and to be involved in their work as well. And that being said, let's be missionaries. We've got the great privilege of living in the United States of America, which now is the second largest mission field in the world. And it has absolute, at this point, absolute religious liberty to go and preach the gospel anywhere we want. And so let's take advantage of it. There are large mission fields that are closed countries we cannot get into. Let's take advantage of the time that we have now and the liberties that we have now in the United States of America. And let's not just help missionaries, let's be missionaries. All right? I hope that will be a challenge to you. One last thing I'm going to mention before we close in prayer. I did take all the verses down around the room. I've got a stack of them. They'll be back there on the back table. If anybody wants, I don't want to just throw them away. If, we, if you can use them at your house, you want to put them up somewhere in your garage or something, uh, hang one on your refrigerator, feel free to take some of those, and we'll stick them back there on the back table. If you'd like to go through, you can pick some of those, maybe put some in your kids' rooms or something. Uh, you're welcome to do that. Let's stand together and we'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, I pray that you would help us as we put our hearts and our minds and our focus on missions. May you... Guide and direct us, Lord, we, don't, we certainly do not want to go outside of the bounds of Scripture. And so help us to have a biblical, scriptural look at the things that are close to your heart in this thing of evangelizing the world. And Lord, while we look on foreign missions, I pray that you'd help us not to overlook home missions. And certainly help us not to overlook the mission that you've given us right here in our own backyards. So help us this week to be diligent in the matter. May we, may we be encouraged, as we've read about Peter, who said, Nevertheless, at thy word, I'll let down my nets one more time. Lord, may we be diligent. May we be busy in these last days, reaching people, teaching the gospel to folks, sharing them with folks. In Jesus' name we pray. Dismiss us with your blessings. Amen.